Greetings, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Peace be with you. This is Catholic evangelist and Bible teacher Hector Molina welcoming you to this special Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday edition of our weekly podcast series, A Walk in the Word, our weekly deep dive Bible study that explores and unpacks the riches of the sacred scriptures and the Sunday Mass readings. Well, my brothers and sisters, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. It has been a blessing and a joy, a privilege for me to lead you over the last week in these reflections, in this Bible study concerning the passion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ during this week of all weeks, this holy week, the week that changed the world. And now we come to the final episode in this special week-long series as we consider Mark's account of the resurrection. And I want to thank all those of you who've journeyed with me over the last week for each of these episodes. I pray that in some small measure, in some small way, that these episodes, that this series has been a blessing, a source of edification and spiritual nourishment for you as you have experienced each day of this holy week. I want to thank those of you who have messaged me and have shared your your comments and your testimonies of, of how the Lord has really blessed you through this podcast series. To God be the glory. This episode is going to be a very brief one. And it's going to be very brief, not because of a lack of content. Oh, goodness, no. There's so much content to share. It's because we have an entire season of Easter, the Paschal season, during which we are going to unpack week after week after week this wondrous mystery of our faith, this glorious mystery of the resurrection. So what we're going to do is we're going to read Mark's account of the resurrection, the passage here in chapter 16 concerning the resurrection. I'm going to make a few comments, and then we're going to close, and we're going to pick up over the next several weeks as we explore the Sunday Mass readings concerning the resurrection, and it's going to be glorious. So, without further ado, why don't we take a walk in the Word? And as always, we begin invoking God's blessing and God's grace in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you, my friends, to grab your Bibles that you might be able to follow along. We begin with the women, the holy women who go to the sepulcher early in the morning, followed by Jesus' appearance to Mary Magdalene. After that, we have Jesus' appearance to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, as is reflected also in the Gospel according to St. Luke in the 24th chapter. And then finally, we end up with Jesus' appearance to the 11 disciples in the upper room. Without further ado, why don't we dive right in. Chapter 16, verse 1. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, this is Sunday, they went to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the door of the tomb? Verse 4, and looking up, they saw that the stone was rolled back, for it was very large. Verse 5, and they entered the tomb, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man 
sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this particular verse, but it really should stick out like a sore thumb, especially after our study, because this might ring a bell. I indicated to you as we went through our Holy Thursday study that there was a detail that was inserted in the text regarding this young man that was wrapped in a shroud in a linen sheet who came out, John Mark, when he heard the noise of the soldiers entering the garden to warn Jesus, presumably, and all the disciples had fled except for him, and they apprehended him, or at least for a moment they did, and he was able to wrestle his way free, and he ran away naked. Remember that? Well, here we have in verse 5, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man. Now, the expression young man in Greek is neaniskos, the very same word that he used to describe himself two chapters earlier. These are the only times that John Mark uses this term, neaniskos, was in the garden when he refers to that young man who ran away naked. And again, here, Neaniscos. If you remember verse 51 of chapter 14, we read, And a young man followed him, Neaniscos, followed him, with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, verse 52, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. As I said, scripture scholars pretty much universally agree that the person mentioned there is John Mark the author of the Gospel of Mark. He's inserting himself in the text in this particular way. Now, understand that, as I mentioned, Holy Thursday, for that study, many scholars believe that John Mark's family owned a portion of what is known as the Mount of Olives. They owned a garden there, an olive garden the Garden of Gethsemane, the place of the oil press. And that's why John Mark was there, because he was sleeping, because he was naked under that sheet. And scripture scholars posit that it was more than likely that he heard the, the, the noise and the commotion of all the soldiers arriving to arrest Jesus. And that's what what awakened him. And he came out wrapped in that sheet. And when they grabbed that sheet, he ran away naked. So in putting the pieces together, that's that's... The theory, the most common theory, another theory is that his mother is one of the candidates for the owner of the upper room, or at least his family. It doesn't identify who owned that room, the upper room where they celebrated the Last Supper. And there are some theories that are out there that also suggest that she more than likely was the owner, her family owned that property where the Lord celebrated his last supper. And so it's really, really fascinating. These theories concerning John Mark, who actually, I mean, was, he inserts himself into this story. He really was a follower of Jesus. And not only that, but he, in essence, was St. Peter's right-hand man. He was his secretary. The gospel of Mark, aside from the events that he describes in the 
Agony in the Garden, which of which he was a firsthand eyewitness. But the Gospel of Mark is really the Gospel of Peter. Because all of the gospel leading up into that point is is St. Peter recounting to John, young John Mark the events concerning the life and the ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you've considered that, but really the gospel of Mark is the gospel of Peter. And then obviously Mark here is an eyewitness to you know what unfolded, and it's quite fascinating. In fact, if you look at the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 12, verse 12, it says, and this is, remember, St. Peter was, uh, Simon Peter was imprisoned, and the community, the people were praying for Simon. And remember, he was miraculously liberated from prison. In verse 12, we read, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. Mary, this particular Mary is the mother of John Mark, who's a very close friend of Simon Peter. And really, Simon took John Mark under his wing, and John Mark became his secretary and really based the gospel on what he learned directly from St. Peter. Isn't that wonderful? So he was with Peter in Rome. He was his secretary. So it says here, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And so some suggest maybe that this was the upper room, that she owned the upper room. And this is a place where the Christians gathered for prayer. And this is where Simon went after he was released. It could be that that was the upper room. So there's so many possibilities here. This is the, just the, the joy and the beauty of reading the scriptures is, you're able to kind of put the pieces together, and it's it's fascinating. So getting back to the text, it says, And looking up, they saw that the stone was rolled back, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw the Neoniscos, a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. This is not an angel. <laughs> and they were amazed. Scripture scholars asked the question, is this John Mark once again? Was he one of the first to arrive at the tomb, perhaps immediately after the resurrection of our Lord? Was he the first to enter into the tomb before the women and the first to herald to the women the resurrection of Jesus? I mean, it's just powerful to consider that that could really be a possibility that John Mark was there. What did he see? How much did he see? But we see the same elements. Neoniscos, we see dressed in a white robe as he was, that linen ephod, that shroud in which the blanket, so to speak, in which he was wrapped. And here we see that young man again. It's a mystery, <laughs> but a fascinating one. And they were amazed and he said to them, do not be amazed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. And he told you, as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had come upon them and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now we move on 
to his appearance in Mary Magdalene. In verse 9, now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went out and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. Verse 12, After this he appeared in another form to two of them, as they were walking into the country, and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. So we see that Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, he appears to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they are communicating this message of the resurrection to the disciples, and they do not believe them. Verse 13, and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe the incredulity, lack of faith. And then we conclude, verse 14, afterward, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they sat at table, and he upbraided them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. My brothers and sisters, with that, we conclude our study of Mark's account of Holy Week and in this installment of Easter Sunday. Now, the other Gospels, if you read them, they furnish us with many, many more details for us to consider. But Mark here is pointing to the unbelief, the hardness of heart. We know that Jesus appears to the disciples and he opens their mind, as I alluded to before in our study earlier, regarding that encounter where he upbraids them and he basically reveals to them that throughout the scriptures, the Old Testament, that God had been communicating and had been foreshadowing and pre-announcing his coming. And he shows them how the scriptures line up, as I've tried to in a very brief way over the course of this week, to let them know that, yes, it was God's plan all along that the Christ should suffer and rise on the third day. This is what happens and unfolds over the course of not only that Easter Sunday, but he spent 40 days with them, 40 glorious days, a 40-day-long retreat before he ascended into heaven. Now, we're going to stop there in our study, and as I indicated from the outset, we've got the remainder of the Easter season, during which we will unpack Sunday after Sunday the Sunday Mass readings that focus precisely on this mystery of the resurrection, and I can't wait to share those studies with you. So our journey continues, my friends. But what I'd like to do in conclusion is to share with you one of my favorite quotes for this Easter Sunday, for for this mystery of the resurrection. One of my favorite early church fathers, St. John Chrysostom, he, the golden tongue, that's what Chrysostom means, the golden mouth, one of the most brilliant and eloquent of, of preachers in the early church, In one of his homilies, one of his brilliant homilies on Easter, he writes the following, and I quote, and with this I close. He has destroyed death by undergoing death. He has despoiled hell by descending into hell. He vexed it, even as it tasted of his flesh. Isaiah foretold this when he cried. Hell was filled with bitterness when it met thee, face to face below. Hell is angered for it was brought to nothing. Hell is angered for it was mocked. Hell is angered for it was overthrown. 
Hell is angered, for it was put in chains. Hell received a body and encountered God. It received earth and confronted heaven. O death, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? Christ is risen, and you, O death, are annihilated. Christ is risen, and the evil ones are cast down. Christ is risen, and the angels rejoice. Christ is risen, and life is liberated. Christ is risen, and the tomb is emptied of its dead. For Christ, having risen from the dead, is become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. To him be glory and power now and forever and from all ages to ages. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah, my brothers and sisters. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that this has been a source of encouragement and edification for you. I wish you a blessed Easter season. I will continue to pray for you, and I ask that you pray for me as I continue to seek to impart the riches of the sacred scriptures with all of you. If you're watching this broadcast on our YouTube channel, I encourage you, if this has blessed you, to hit like. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button and the notification bell. That way YouTube will notify you every time we upload a new podcast episode. And if you'd like to learn more about this media ministry, Upper Room Studios, I wholeheartedly encourage you to visit our Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash Hector Molina. If this content blesses you and you want more of it, then consider becoming a patron. For just a few dollars a month, you could be sowing into this ministry, enabling me to expand my reach and to be able to continue producing high-quality, inspirational, edifying videos that evangelize. We want to reach as many souls as possible. So consider becoming a patron. Consider sowing into this ministry. You receive tremendous benefits and behind-the-scenes footage and special videos that I produce exclusively for my patrons bonus content you don't want to miss. So join our online family, become part of our Patreon family for Upper Room Studios. And with that, my brothers and sisters, I'm going to sign off. I look forward to seeing you next week as we continue to journey and to walk in the Word. God love you.